Welcome to Buy and Build, the podcast about buying a business and building in public. Uncover the wins and losses as we renovate our business together. Come along for the ride. Now, here are your hosts of Buy and Build, Nicholas Scalp and Daryl Lim. What's going on? It's your boy here, Daryl, along with Nicholas Scalp, co-host extraordinaire. It's Buy and Build Podcast. And uh, we thought we'd try a different format today. We're just going to see how each other's day is, see how everything's going, <laughs> and go from there. Uh, yeah, so I was just telling Nick, I just got back to the gym today because we actually closed here where I'm at, Vancouver, British Columbia. They closed down gyms for a whole month. So today was the first day. People were allowed to go back to the gym they have this weird policy in place where they say you have to wear a mask in common areas, but not when you're working out. What? Yeah. How does that even make sense? Do one or the other? Like, yeah. What? So I don't know if you have this in the U S we have everywhere. When you go to restaurants, you need your mask to walk in Yeah. and then you sit down at the table and you're at the table inside for an hour and you take your mask off the whole time. And they're like, you gotta use the bathroom, put that mask back on. We're being safe here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's exact same way, but they use that same rationale towards working out, which doesn't really make sense because if you're working out, you're breathing hard anyways. So like that's, that's worse than being in a common area and actually like not having a, or having a mask on who cares you're you're in there, you're taking the risk. Like at that point, just make the rules clear instead of muddying it. Yeah, I I did you. So I've been doing jujitsu for years and I did a few classes here during COVID and it was like, go inside the gym, keep the mask on the whole time, never take the mask off. You go to roll with someone, you're sweating so hard. They put their shoulder on you, like they're sweating on you. The mask gets totally soaked and it feels like you're just getting waterboarded the whole time and it falls off and they just stop and put the mask back on, put it back on. You're like, oh, what are we doing? Like, this guy just yeah. sweat on my face. Like, I'm going to catch it if he has it. <laughs> yeah, it seriously doesn't make sense because at that point, you're so close to someone when you're doing jujitsu. Like yeah. you're either breathing behind them or you're breathing in their face. Yeah, like what difference exactly. does it make? Yeah. Wild, man. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. I mean, on to other weird, crazy news. Like how about crypto? What the hell's going on with that? I'm getting all these yeah. notifications about a bloodbath. Yeah. You're, you're doing research on it right now. What is going on? Okay. So, so here's the, the current situation in the entire environment, right? Because crypto, at the end of the day, crypto is viewed by all these savvy investors as just like a risk on investment, right? So to some extent, tech is risk on investment where it's like, they take a lot of money to go build out this thing that has much bigger returns at some point. You know, That's why all these tech companies IPO at major losses. They're like, yeah, it takes a lot of money to build this thing. And once it hits a scale where they turn on profits, they make a ton of money. Crypto is viewed a lot the same way. And risk on assets grow the fastest in a good market and crash the hardest when the market turns. So there's this crazy thing that happened with the Fed, right? So the US Federal Reserve basically sets the pace for how the entire world economy is going to work. The Fed, they have quarterly meetings. They did this meeting and they went, did a report afterwards and went, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop pumping money into the economy and we're going to increase interest rates. So the Fed has two major levers and it's printing money and buying stuff with that money and interest rates between banks. So there's this whole backstory that's banks loan money to each other to to hit these different like requirements. Um, 
the Fed is like the final thing where you can go borrow money from the Fed. Generally, the Fed's most, they're the most expensive thing. So the Fed sets the floor. They came out and said, they're going to stop printing money. They're going to raise rates. I think it was like, they're going to raise rates twice or three times in the year. And these, these report, these meetings are all recorded. They like type up the minutes and they publish the minutes a few weeks later. So the Fed chairman and all the other people on the board have the chance to look at this and go, okay, I didn't mean to say that. That's a little misleading. Let's just tweak it. So it says this. You're not supposed to change the content of the meeting. Just for a public report, they're able to make it not sound crazy if they say something. Mm -hmm. So the Fed report came out and what happened was they went from, we're not going to buy anymore to we're going to actively sell stuff. And they went from maybe we'll raise rates two or three times to four times starting soon. So what they reported was way less aggressive than the stance they actually decided on. And as soon as that report came out, crypto and all other risk on assets dropped like fucking 10%. Everything got destroyed. So what you've been seeing over the past two or three weeks is a response to the Fed getting super, super aggressive. We haven't really seen it kick in yet, but what they said and what they reported were different. So you saw this gap where the market kind of turned up and things were looking better. Yeah. That was the initial Fed report when everyone went, okay, it could have been worse. And then the finalized minutes came out and they went, oh, fuck, they decided it was worse. Like, <laughs> what the hell is going on? So this uncertainty from the Fed, it's, I, I mean, for me, I can, I can just say for myself, I'm like, I don't know if we actually have to say this, but because everyone does, we're going to say it, like not financial advice, whatever. For me, it's concerning that the Fed is not telling the full story. And, you know, if you're going to be aggressive, just be aggressive. Don't pretend you're not aggressive and then surprise people. Mm hmm so what's your expectation here? Are we going for a downhill trend here and heading to a crash? Or do you think it's, it's going to trend up at some point soon? Yeah. So there's been a problem with the Fed for a long time. Like I said, they basically have these two levers. And this is like, for the most part, what they can do. In a normal market, they also have this third lever, which is like, they say next year, like inflation is going to be 2%. And then every single business in the United States puts in 2% inflation to all of their contracts. They kind of can set inflation just via expectation. They can't do it in runaway inflation like this. My expectation is there's probably going to be a lot of downside coming. I have a good amount of money in cash. Like I pulled a lot of crypto assets out and just put it into cash. And I like, I mean, I'm going to keep buying, but I'm buying slower than I was before. I'm having some preference towards cash. The, the real question is we have this, this balance of, okay, there's a lot more money. So naturally everything's going to be more expensive. You know, like $1 is not worth $1 anymore. I, I think it's something like half or 60% of all of the money that exists, all the US dollars that exists were printed since the start of, I mean, when, when there's just that much more money, you should expect the numbers to just be bigger, right? Because the fundamental value of a Coke hasn't changed but the yep. fundamental value of a dollar has changed. So it, it should be more expensive. That just makes sense. But then there's also supply chain shocks and like all these other crazy things going on. And when you get into a market where there's so much excess money that it goes into risk on assets, when things get crazy, some of the money pulls out, right? Mm. So the real question is like, where's the line? Like, where is it? Like we printed more money, so things should be more expensive versus okay, Coke gets this return per year and Ethereum, you know, does whatever the fuck Ethereum does. Like at the end of the day, most people don't know how to value any of these things. Like I couldn't tell you how to value Tesla. It's too complicated. I don't even know what Ethereum is relative to Tesla, you know? Yeah.
No, I hear you. It's super confusing as, you know, a common retail trader here trying to figure out what's going on. And yeah, I mean, the thing is, they always say Bitcoin like sets the trend for the rest of crypto. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you just look at the general stock market, which I did, everything is down. Even the yeah. safest ones like ETFs and stuff, everything is down. So yeah, I know people, people are definitely panicking, but you know, you never lose money unless you actually sell. <laughs> <laughs> Not financial advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, the real thing is I, I try to buy and hold more or less forever, right? I don't really follow that too closely. I pull money out and swap it around. But at the end of the day, it's if you can't hold something for five years, like you're taking a really risky bet. And if you look at five or 10 year horizon, like returns are pretty good throughout basically the entire lifetime of the United States. So yeah. it's risky. Like things are more risky in the short term than they are in the long term. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Unless obviously crypto, then everything's risky. <laughs> yeah, it's a definitely a roller coaster ride. But, uh, you know, after you've gone through the up and downs, like I haven't been in it for that long, maybe six, seven months, but I've yeah. gone through enough roller coasters where now I'm like numb to it. It's like yeah. bizarre. <laughs> I was in it when people lost 95% of their, their value in crypto. I mean, like I, I remember buying uh, Bitcoin at 19 grand and then wow. it dropping to three grand. I mean, when you see that and then you like open up your, your little app and you're like, oh, look, Solana's down 10%. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing you can do about that. So, I mean, yeah. we're talking about ways that we're currently losing money in the market and like relying on the market, but you and I are both starting our own thing as well. And I think that, you know, goes with, you know, determining your own future and mm -hmm. determining how you see the outlook of things going. So you're building out this crypto newsletter. I'm building out like a D2C e-commerce business. And, you know, regardless of how the market is, whatever you're trading at, we can build on that and create, you know, I guess like a better representation of what we believe we can bring to the table. Yeah. And I, I want to say like, I've spent the last like two years trying to find like risk off inflation hedges, right? I mean, like I looked at like fucking farmland where they grow apple trees and sell apples and like crazy stuff. And really the best one is a cash flow positive business. It's the yeah. only thing that makes money and adjusts to inflation really well. Yeah, that makes sense. So maybe we'll get into your crypto newsletter and we'll ask you some questions about that. So what made you want to start your cryptocurrency newsletter in the first place? Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, it's it's a weird answer, but the subreddit for cryptocurrency sucks. Like <laughs> I wanted to go on there and discover new stuff and, you know, kind of have that engaging conversation of people who are really in it. And it was just shit posting and people like, you know, trying to shill their coins and, you know, like Cardano to the moon. And you're like, I don't like why can someone give me any rationale behind there and there was just nothing right i just couldn't find any good content sites for it huh so you found your own problem and you wanted to solve the problem and i can kind of understand where you're coming from because like i'm pretty active reddit user on there and you know most of the time they're saying like oh yeah hold your bag and whatever they're like <laughs> fuck defi and you know how can you say that when you know, there's so many things that are built on DeFi now, and it's mm -hmm. the next generation of crypto that you can't 
you can't be ignoring that, you know, your first market, there's always going to be problems. There's always going to be like things that happen, but you should be open to it and understanding it. And, you know, how do you utilize that type of technology to give yourself a better outlook on the future? Yeah. And I, I said earlier that most of like, or not most of my money, but I, I pulled a bunch of money out and I hold it in cash. By cash, I mean stable coin that I lend for eight to 12% returns, right? Mm. My bank account gives me like what, 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2%, like nothing, literally nothing. Yeah. Um, at eight or 12% returns, I mean, like that's crazy. Yeah. That's 8% is the average for the, the US S&P 500. I, I mean, that's awesome. And you don't have to put money into something that'll go down. You know, you get some inherent risk with stable coins, but it it's pretty damn good. Yeah, for sure. So, all right, you started off this crypto newsletter. You had zero subscribers. How did you get your first few subscribers? Yeah, so I went through Reddit. There would be, there was this guy, I think it was like uh, Game of Thrones. It was like Aegon Targaryen 7 or something like that. And every week he would post like weekly roundup for crypto. And it would be like just links, like 40 links and basically like one line. And he would get 150 comments on there. I would go through, literally click on every single person, send them a direct message on Reddit. Reddit rate limits you really quickly. This would take four hours to get totally done. And I would DM them like, hey, what's up? Not related to Aegon at all. Just wanted to, to say like, I saw you were interested in this. I'm making something similar. We send you an email weekly. Let me know if you're interested. Here's the link. I mean, I probably got the first hundred people through doing that and like just hustling. And it, I mean, it was like copy and paste their name and go send an email and you go to send the fourth one and Reddit's come back in 10 minutes, asshole. We know what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I mean, you got to your first hundred. Where are you at now? How many subscribers you got? Yeah, let me pull it up. We're... Uh, well over 500. We might be 567. Nice. So you got a so, good amount. So the newsletter is about crypto, but it's supposed to be simplified so that someone can eat it, easily read it and understand it. Is that what it's about? Yeah. So we, we basically jacked the entire thing from Morning Brew, right? So Morning Brew does an awesome version of this that's like little short takes on stories and it's four or five per week. We want the entire thing to be less than five minutes to read it. And it'll be some combination of, hey, we're super interested in Phantom. It's doing this. Here's its like market cap to total value locked in DeFi. It's worth taking a look. Go do some research. And then all the way over to, hey, Walmart's launching an NFT. That's weird, right? That's really weird. Could you imagine a little kid in the metaverse running around as like their metaverse parents go shop for cigarettes or something? You know, like something ridiculous, some something a little fun, but also like keeping you up to date with things. Speaking of Walmart NFTs, uh, <laughs> I know you're invested a little bit into VeChain and one of major partners with VeChain is Walmart, right? Mm-hmm. So does that affect your like overall perception of how VeChain is going to go in the future because of what they're getting into? Yeah. What's interesting is this is, so VeChain is partnered with Walmart China. So yeah. I think they're like totally different entities. I don't think this is the same thing at all. So I, like they weren't very clear on details with with their NFT platform, but I mean honestly I've been a little disappointed in VeChain. Uh, they've they've had partnerships, but a lot of what they're doing seems a lot of crypto in a lot of the crypto world to get price appreciation. It seems like they have to do a lot of work on 
marketing and like talking about what they're doing and, you know, being very transparent and building up that ecosystem. And I think that's where VeChain's done like a bad job. A lot of these, these blockchains, like have, I know people who are like the lead of content and the lead of, you know, customer relations, constantly talking about this, getting stories out there for a few different blockchains and VeChain just has not been delivering on it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so maybe we should actually talk about what VeChain is because some people who are listening right now probably don't even know what VeChain is. So yeah, maybe yeah. do a brief like overview of what it is. Yeah. So VeChain's, I think they call it a generation three cryptocurrency. So there was like Bitcoin and then Ethereum where you put in smart contracts and then like generation three, where it's like different models of like your either proof of stake or proof of authority or history or whatever, all these different mechanisms. VeChain is a Gen 3 cryptocurrency that's totally focused on supply chain. So when they work with companies like Walmart, people can go in the store, they like pull up their app, they scan the QR code, and they see everywhere that food has been that they're buying from Walmart, what temperature it is at, all these things. They ship with these like IoT devices. It doesn't seem like a big problem for us here, but apparently it's a massive problem in China, like food fraud. Uh, a lot of oils are like mixed with like weird stuff, like it's just not a lot of food security there. Super strange and like interesting concept because if you think about it, let's say there's a bike out there and you want to know like, how was this bike built? Was it built properly mm-hmm. in the right place? Uh, was it built in China or was it built here? You would think that t- technology would be like very useful in the whole process of building anything, but it hasn't really caught on like that much in North America. Yeah, yeah, that's totally true. And VeChain's a multi-billion dollar company. Don't get me wrong. They're yeah. like, they're killing it. They're doing a lot of good stuff. They just haven't been competitive with the Solanas and Cardano and Ethereum, you know, like that type of thing. They're they're not quite, I don't know, some of these other ones, maybe the other ones have just caught fire and VeChain just hasn't caught fire. There's There's some difference. But yeah, well, I mean, I can tell you the difference from the outset is that VeChain has a different use case than Solana or AVAX or any of these ones. They're like, like these other ones are things that are all digital. This is digital, but D to C, you know what I mean? Like it's related to an actual physical product. I think maybe that helps separate it itself a little bit, but maybe people think that there isn't as much potential because there needs to be a physical involved. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I I mean... At the end of the day, digital companies are the best companies in the world, not because they're the most fun or make the most money because their margins are so crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So when you go on like an Ethereum, you know, take, let's go Solana because gas fees are a whole conversation, but Solana's gas fees are less than a fraction of a penny. I mean, what's the, what's the marginal cost for you to run a business on Solana? Like you have to build the thing and then what, you know, it's, it's so low. But if you're delivering IoT devices like VeChain is in a lot of cases and you're like loading people onto the blockchain and then validating their stuff and there's more expenses there than just being like, we run a blockchain, people have nodes and you know those nodes do transactions. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk about how you grew that list to 567. Did you try any like marketing stuff? And just so everyone knows, I don't really know what happened here with Nick's letter <laughs> subscription. So when I'm asking these questions, I'm genuinely interested because I don't really know. He'll occasionally ask me some questions or be like, oh, how does this landing page look? But I don't really know. So I'm learning for the first time as well. So don't think that 
this is just trying to, I don't know, have some weird <laughs> conversation, but I, I'm genuinely interested. I want to know. So what other marketing things have you been using? Yeah. So the first thing I did is I set up a landing page, right? So ConvertKit, it, I, I mean, I think it's free actually. I don't, I don't think I pay anything for ConvertKit. And I just set up a landing page. I like threw some ads onto Facebook and drove a little bit of traffic there. Between Facebook and Reddit, I probably got to 200 or so. And a lot of the rest of it was posts that took off on Reddit. So I, I made some posts that would get us like 50 or 60 people. I think the biggest one we ever made was about how North Korea was like hacking all of these different like wallets and small projects and like taking money from people. And they were holding on to it because they viewed it as like a great investment. So for those of you who are really interested, North Korea is hodling, you know, take from that what you will. But like stories like that would pop off. We'd get like 700 additional visitors to the site, you know, maybe five or 10% of them would convert. Those have been probably the, the like biggest bulk return on investment there. A lot of it has been SEO, honestly. We've done some work on SEO. We bought Ahrefs and that's been pretty, pretty big. So, I mean, we don't get a ton of web traffic yet. We pretty recently got out of, Google has this thing called like the sandbox. And it's like this, like they don't officially have it, I don't think, but it's like this informal thing where Google won't really rank you until you've been a site that's put out content for a number of months. And I, I mean, I could pull up my numbers right here. So let's see, in December, like mid-December, we were getting like 200 to 300 impressions. And now we're averaging like 600 to 800. And yesterday we had a story that kicked off a lot. That was actually Walmart and we got to 3000 impressions a day. Nice. So there's, there's been like some big hits. It, here's the weird thing. Like you and I are used to normal, consistent, like business stuff where it's, you go make a sale and you know, you consistently grow over time mm-hmm. in that way, or you get subscribers and like consistently, like you're getting paid each month and then you keep getting more subscribers. It seems like the media business is very, very lumpy. Like you have a baseline and if your SEO is good, your baseline improves. And then you have one story and you get 10 X your normal traffic. And it's nuts how this works out. I, I can't predict what works for some reason, like Google loved Walmart, like Reddit loved North Korea investments. I don't know what's going on, man. <laughs> you know what though? That is very similar to a lot of algorithms that are out there right now. So for instance, the way that TikTok works is the more times that you post on it, the more it kind of understands what you're doing. And then one might just shoot off. You might post mm-hmm. 30 different pieces of content and then one of them just goes off and gets 20, 30,000 views or 100,000 views. And, you know, this sounds like a similar thing. You know, the more that you post, it's starting to try and figure out, okay, what is this website? What are the articles about? What are people interested in? Oh, people are interested in like, you know, North Korea because it's a hot topic, but they're also involved in crypto. So... I think it's doing a similar thing. I think YouTube is the same thing as well with their algorithm, where again, the more stuff that you post, the more chance that you have to hit it off. And then, you know, that snowballs and it kind of understands what you're doing. Yeah, that makes sense. The most interesting thing that I've found so far is like how much getting backlinks is like such an aggressive hustle, right? Yeah. So most of my backlinks so far are like, People scrape Twitter or BitCloud or Reddit or anything like that. And it's it's a long process to get backlinks. And yeah. a lot of them are like relatively low quality if they're just scrapers. And we actually just had a podcast where we talked about backlinks and that I'm going to implement a lot of strategies from there. Yeah, One I secret. Think... Sorry, go ahead. 
yeah, I mean, seems like the most common thing is the, the hardest thing is backlinks. It's doing your cold outreach to different people and being like, hey, you know, I feel like I can bring some sort of value to your blog or your article. Can I help you do that? And in exchange, you might get something. So yeah. it's definitely that hustle muscle that you got to keep pushing. <laughs> yeah. And a, a lot of the like backlink strategies you hear, are like go search other people's sites for where their links are broken and be like, Hey, you could put my link in there instead. And you're like, Oh my God, what am I like <laughs> things like that. And then a lot of people buy old sites and then run them up again. Yep. And then put yourself as links out there. And I'm like, if I'm like, if I'm buying other companies to get links, what am I doing? We're going deep. That's really aggressive. I think it's funny because they always used to call like SEO or they still do. They call SEO organic, you know, like it's technically free, but it, it's really not free. It's just a maneuver that you look like you're free to the average customer and you're ranking up, but really you're doing all these different things in order to rank up and it takes so much time. But I guess it's all about that perception, right? Because if you're buying ads, it says ad on there. And I think yeah. that's, that's the big difference. Yeah. And I, I will say the one thing that has done absolutely nothing for me has been social media stuff. Like I've seen zero traction. Like I, I guess Reddit social media, but other than Reddit, I've seen like zero traction there. Hmm. But I, I did find the secret where BitClout publishes do follow links, which is like worth more in the backlink world. And BitCloud has pretty good domain authority. So I think putting a lot of links into BitCloud, obviously don't be spammy, but I put like a, like a, basically a tweet that's like a bunch of content from the site. That's, you know, a TLDR of the whole thing. And then I reply to it with a link to the article. So people get most of the value from that. And if they click through, great. If not, then I just get the link and you know, I think that's been the, the low hanging fruit that I've found. I think one thing that you could try, and this is something that when I emailed Nick Charmer, he told me that it would be a good idea to do because his email was about this. It was about getting traffic to an article. And he said the article, like a lot of companies, they would put the article on Medium and then they would link mm. back to the article on Medium. So I don't know if there's some sort of like SEO value that comes from that when you post as an author on Medium and then link back to your website. But, gotcha. you know, that, tend, that seems to be like a different new marketing style where instead of posting directly to your sign up sheet, you're sending to an article, someone can read about it. And then on the bottom, someone can sign up for your newsletter, but it's on Medium. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm going to do that. <laughs> well, I missed the segue to talk about your D2C company here with like supply chains on, on VeChain. Do you want to, do you want to explain what you're doing there? And, and honestly, today was the first time I heard about it. So I'm, you know, like you said before, I'm, I'm coming in like just questions. Yeah. So the idea actually originally came from trends. If everyone out there has been listening and to all the episodes, they probably know that I built a 3D illusion gallery based on an idea from a trends article, which was a signal and so I was like, okay, well, I struck gold, quote unquote, once before. Why not go back to the well? So I started reading a few different articles and I found one that was related to a do-it-yourself kit. And so I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, I'll go on there. And I was thinking, okay, I'm going to do this DIY kit and, you know, move forward with it. 
But then as I started doing research, I noticed that there was another product that could be made out of it that you could narrow down even further and niche down even further more. And so when I saw it, it was actually a supplement and I was thinking, you know what supplements and like working out and lifestyle and that, that stuff, it resonates a lot more with me than a sugary drink. And I just didn't think I could put my heart and my backing into it, even though it is Asian related. It was just <laughs> something that didn't really make sense to me. So yeah, I mean, I pivoted a little bit and this is kind of a newer concept. It's not really around a lot. And I think that's a good thing because of the people that I know who have been quite successful in the DTC world, they're really not afraid to take risks and try new things. And that's how they've hit it big. Like it's crazy. They they would get like this product from China and they didn't see any of the numbers or revenue from someone else doing it. And they're like, all right, well, I'm going to sell this on Facebook marketplace to see what happens. Bam. A couple of years later, $3 million a year business. So clearly there's something there by being trying to be one of the first to market and trying that out. So yeah, I'm creating like a protein powder. That's awesome, man. So, okay. So you're, you're making a protein powder. It's D to C. I don't want you to tell all the details publicly. You know, I, I don't know if you agree with this, but everything I've ever heard is like D to C brands are aggressively copied and you, you haven't launched yet, right? No. Yeah, they are very, very aggressively copied. And I would probably say I'm sort of guilty of doing that because it exists out there. And I purchased a product and I saw, oh, wow, okay, you know, looks like they have a decent amount of sales. They raise a certain amount of money. There must be some value to it. And people are commenting on people's posts being like, this is awesome. So clearly there's something there. But I know for me, there isn't a lot here in Canada right now. So I can be one of the first to market. And, you know, I'm going to get someone who's like a, born salesperson on board and get them to go in all these retail shops and try and get us in those stores. So it'll be one brick and mortar, which, you know, I've already had success with. And then another part online, which I haven't had as much success with and try and launch that way. That's awesome. Okay. So you're going to have a brick and mortar. Do you have like a location set up? Do you know, like how far along are you in, in the planning process here? So just to be clear, I'm not making my own brick and mortar store. I'm going to be going into different supplement retail stores mm. to try and provide them my own protein powder and get in their doors so that they can sell it on my behalf. Yeah. Starting your own brick and mortar business. It is a lot of money, a lot of upfront costs. Like I know firsthand, obviously, because we have a business, our rent is, I think, what was it? It's $9,200 and now it's at 10 grand. So it's really expensive. And uh, you know, one thing I will say about brick and mortar is that if you're willing to, if you have the money and you're willing to risk it and you use like the right online marketing and advertising and you know how to get traction, there's going to be less competition. That's how I personally feel because in the online world, everyone's trying to drop ship. Everyone's trying to do DTC. Everyone's trying to sell on Amazon. Everyone's copying each other. But, you know, for us, we're not, we weren't really competing with anyone here in the market in Vancouver. There was maybe one other company in Canada doing something similar or two other companies. And in the States, there's like three or four in Asia, there's three or four. So we could literally almost go anywhere in the world because we've created this and just go into a different state or province where it doesn't exist. So definitely think about that. If you're going out there trying to buy a brick and mortar business or start a brick and mortar business, it has 
its advantages, but obviously you'd have to have a lot of capital in order to start. And yeah, that uh, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so then it's going to be mostly online from what you're building right now, right? Yeah. So mostly online. So kind of the checklist of what I'm doing right now is I'm creating a landing page for signups for everyone out there. I know I keep saying Nick Charmer's name, but he is legit a really good marker. And he has a landing page set up that says it's like basically an audit. And I kind of copied that, that setup there to look at it and be like, all right, well, do I have this element? Do I have this element, this element? And I look at other people who are also doing pre-launches and I try and take what elements are there to make them that made them successful. Cause at the end of the day, there's obviously a formula to this. And if you do the formula, right, you can have success. So I'm trying to copy those same things as well. I have some ads already written out for the copywriting. I'm looking at the pictures of what people are putting, putting up in the pictures. So I'm going to try those different ads and then I'm going to do a launch, a pre-launch, but I'm not necessarily going to buy any of the product right away or inventory. I want to see what kind of engagement I have. And then I'm also going to try and work with some TikTok influencers as well, because I know TikTok's hitting it off right now. I just do some cold outreach, connect with some of these different influencers. I know you can do it through TikTok's platform as well and find influencers that way, which is pretty cool. And then go from there. Dude, this is awesome. I love it. So are you using Shopify as your platform? Like just like tactically, what's the, you know, what is the, what are the actual tools that you're, you're touching and using to execute this? Yeah. So I'm using Unbounce for my landing page. I use that for Dimensions Art Gallery as well. So I have a bunch of stuff that's built out through Unbounce and it's really easy to use because it's drag and drop. But for those people who are cost sensitive, there are a few other options that are out there that might be cheaper, which you can do on a monthly basis. Or if you go to sites like AppSumo, you know, they have lifetime deals on different things that are available. And there's one called PageMaker, which I actually won. So I got access to that software out there. So if people are looking for a cheap alternative, PageMaker is actually pretty cool. It's not as easy to use, but if you learn to use it, it is a cheap alternative that you can use. In terms of what I'm using for my e-commerce site, I am definitely using Shopify. I think that's the gold standard right now for the e-commerce world. And I've been actively involved with trends and there's a few people who said, Hey, you know, like I'm trying to build up my portfolio. I would love it if I could get some customers and I'd give them a really good deal and I could make the website for them. So I actually took one girl's offer up on this and she built the baseline website for me. And then now I've got pretty much like a website ready to go besides like the mockups and the 3d renderings that I need. So yeah, those are the two things that I have right now, I'm probably going to use either ConvertKit or Klaviyo for my email marketing. Besides that, I mean, I'm probably going to end up adding a whole bunch of apps that are on Shopify. I know we've had some guests before who made Shopify apps. So I'll probably end up reaching up to those guys and getting them back on the show and seeing if I can get some free access (laughs) to pump it, (laughs) but we'll see what happens. That's awesome. That's really cool. So we're we're definitely going to have to keep up as we as we both build out these things, I think people love hearing the, the updates as they go, you know? So I, I would love to see like, when you have this pre-launch going on, what does that look like? What's the, you know, the, the email campaign look like? What's the landing page look like when someone goes to like pre-buy, you know, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really interesting because, you know, before you and I actually started the online yoga and fitness company, when we bought it, I was looking into crowdfunding 
on like mm-hmm. different platforms and there's like a crazy methodology behind it. And I reverse engineered that whole process and it's kind of similar. So like as a Kickstarter, Kickstarter, Indiegogo. And the big thing is I've talked to a few people who've already done this and successfully raised some money. It's like an algorithm again on Indiegogo or Kickstarter. And it's based on how much traction that you can get onto the website in the first few days or whatever it is. So once, so what people do is they create a landing page and that landing page has like images of your product, everything that's good about it, what kind of discount that you get, where is it going to be on? And then you go to the page and you sign up your email and name. And if you're really smart, some people actually have been doing a $1 sign up. So mm-hmm. the weird thing is there's some sort of psychological thing where if you pay, take out your credit card and even pay $1, you're more likely to purchase. And so you could set up that landing page, have that little transaction that occurs, and then you build up your email list and then you launch. And the great, the crazy thing about crowdfunding is you can have a mock-up or whatever. And a lot of times they don't even have the actual thing existing. Cause I think there's uh, a guy who made like those bubble hotels or whatever it is. And they were just 3D renderings and they raised probably three or 400 K. He was in our all access pass group. It's crazy. That's nuts. I've actually been seeing a lot of, what is it? Redfin. Redfin does the, the real estate. They're basically Zillow. Yeah. Um, Redfin has a bunch of houses that you go look at. I, I've been looking at real estate. They have a bunch of houses you go look at and you like click through the pictures and then eventually they'll show you what the lot is. And you're like, wait a second, nothing's built yet. And they're like, yeah, no, that was all fake. But it'll, it'll come eventually. <laughs> yeah. It's actually crazy. I mean, it's crazy. You mentioned Redfin because I work at REW here in Canada mm-hmm. and it's same thing. There's developers that are on our site. We get tons of traffic and then we just send people to their development pages and it's all 3D renderings. There's nothing right. that exists, just a plot of land, maybe an office that's there and they sell out. It's crazy because in this market, you have to get ahead. I don't know how it is in San Francisco, but just to give you an example here in downtown Vancouver, I'm in a one bedroom place. It's 600 square feet and it's just like close to my office. It, mm-hmm. it probably goes for over 700 K. Wow. That's crazy, man. The real estate market's so fucking nuts right now. Yeah. It, it's yeah. We could have a whole podcast about that. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, It is insane. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. We talk about only digital <laughs> online businesses. <laughs> I mean, maybe we'll get into real estate, but probably not. Uh, okay. So I think we're hitting like 45 minutes or so right now. Yeah. That might be a good place to call it. And we do another episode going on further from here. What do you think? Yeah. So- sounds good. Okay. Is there any loose ends you want to tie up before we finish that up? I think this is something that a lot of people were requesting from us before. They wanted to know like updates about the business, what was going on. And we weren't able to give that because I think it was just hard to do that when you had teachers involved. You didn't want them to know what was going through your head. But this is a little bit different circumstance. We have more control over our circumstances. So I think we're going to try and update more regularly, have these different conversations and we'll occasionally bring on guests into our conversations and it'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. I think, I think we should do one thing. Um, maybe we don't do it this episode, maybe we do the next one, but I think it'll be helpful if we set a goal explicitly for both of our businesses, you know, both of them are pretty early on. We're just starting off. Yeah. I think it makes sense to publicly set a goal and hold ourselves accountable in that way. So we have something where we go, ah, 
fuck, I told a bunch of people I was going to do this. <laughs> All right. Do you have one? I have one of mine. Do you, I'll give you a minute. So my goal is to hit 10K subscribers and mostly not by being paid subscribers by the end of this year, right? So I, I don't want my primary mechanism to be, I turn my money into subscribers via ads. I'm aiming for 10K subscribers by the end of the year. At 10K, you can get decent ad money. You know, it becomes like, starts looking like a real business and you have a lot more opportunity there. Crypto world, there's like DAOs and NFTs and all this crazy stuff you can do. But I, I think that's my my like number one top line goal. Nice. So I think my goal is I want to be able to hit 100 units of the protein powder that I'm selling out of the gate. And that will give me like a break even point It'll give me understanding. It'll get me some like customers to get a gauge on. And hopefully we can get into 10 stores by the beginning of summer. So awesome. I would say those are my two parameters and uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. I mean, we, this would probably be, we should probably get Kevin back on the show, Kevin Jockelson, <laughs> because he, remember he got like his product, his alcohol and liquor into liquor stores. Yeah. So clearly he kind of understands where I'm going through. And he also has <laughs> a newsletter, a big, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. And he's a big supporter. He's fun to have on. So yeah, yeah. we'll see how that lockdown's going in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, man. I, I think we call it here. Cool. Good to, yes. good to be back. Glad we're doing this again. Yeah. Sounds good. So for all those super fans who are listening to us and the changes to this platform and listening to us ramble on, we love having you out there supporting us. If you got any questions, let us know in the Facebook group. Send us an email. We love you. Until next time, we'll see you again. You can find more episodes and a link to the community of Buy and Build Podcast at buybuildpod.com. Remember to like, rate, and share with your friends on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Join us again next week as we continue our journey. We'll see you in the next one.